0: You're listening to the Agony Column news report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more 5 days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotron.com/agony. Mitchell Kaplan is the owner of Books in Books in Coral Gables, Florida. Thank you for joining me, Mitchell.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure to be, uh, to be with you.
0: Mitchell, tell me, when and why did you get into the bookselling business?
1: It's a long story, but, uh, but I can simplify it. I, unlike, uh, not unlike lots of other booksellers who are, you know, uh, kind of in middle age these days, um, always found bookstores to be attractive as community centers. Uh, places where I would go when I was much younger, even as a child, and found much comfort in, 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 in the sense of a bookstore being a, a place where, um, you know, people could go and browse and just hang out. When I got a little bit older, and uh, I, the history of independent bookstores uh, in the 20th century, I found that, there were basically bookstores at the center of, you know, just about every major literary movement that you can imagine. Whether it's Paris in the '20s with uh, Shakespeare and Company, or you know, New York in the in the '30s and '40s with the Gotham Book Mart and the great bookstores in Manhattan, or even with the um, the Beats in San Francisco in the '50s with City Lights. Uh, when I was an English major in college, these stores became iconic for me. Uh, yet at, at the time, I really had no idea what I was going to do with my life and knew nothing about business. Nobody in my family was in business. I, I never really worked retail in my life. And uh, it wasn't until... Um, uh, I was forced to really try to figure out what I wanted to do after I went to law school for two years, that I I returned to to this notion of wanting to own a bookstore and wanting to be involved with books uh, in a a significant way. Uh, I went to law school in Washington, D.C. in the mid-'70s, and there were some phenomenal bookstores there. There was the Saville Bookstore, uh, Kramer Books and Afterwards was just starting. And I found myself more in the bookstores than I found myself in uh, in my law school classes. And I knew that there was something slightly off. So it was then in my early 20s that I, you know, really thought that I would, you know, pursue owning a bookstore. Uh, I moved back to Miami, where I am from, and... I knew that I had to have some profession to carry me uh, to bridge uh, from the, the gap from from college law school to uh, you know to owning a bookstore. So I um, I got a degree at the University of Miami uh, in uh, English and education, uh, a master's degree in English and education, and I taught high school for a couple of years while at the same time working part time in some bookstores here just to learn the trade, and um, so I think, you know, fundamentally it was kind of a, a lifelong love of, of books and and, and, and writers and, and you know, all things, you know, with literary culture, I guess you could say, but it really didn't crystallize that I could be a part of it until I, I reassessed what I wanted to do with my adult life uh, after I went to law school.
0: Could you tell me Uh, about finding the specific store you opened was it already a a store owned by somebody else or did you just go out and buy a piece you know rent a piece of a vacant uh, storefront and say I hope this is not the storefront of doom
1: oh it's a funny story actually I uh, I grew up here in Miami I grew up on Miami Beach uh, which was pretty pretty far from Carl Gables where we opened our first store uh, Carl Gables is the home of the University of Miami, so I got to know Carl Gables a little bit uh, when I was getting this master's degree and spent a year at the University of Miami, um, and so I knew the area somewhat. And Carl Gables at the time wasn't really served by an independent bookstore; it had uh, had a couple of chains, some Walden Books, I think. Uh, but Miami had lots of independent bookstores, and they all were sort of in different neighborhoods. So it seemed to me that Carl Gables, as a neighborhood, could use a good independent store. And it was in the days when you could open up very small, and our first space was about 500 square feet. And I found the perfect space, but the problem with that space was that it was, uh, it was um, occupied by a watch repairman. And uh, fortunately, when I went back to the space a few weeks later, there was a sign in the window that said his business was for sale. So uh, I basically bought his watch repair business in order to open up um, in this space. And and why I was able to do that was because the lease, he had had a 40-year lease in this little space. And it was owned by a uh, the quintessential little old, little old lady who owned the building that he was in. And it was such a favorable lease that it made sense to buy his business to be able to have access to his lease. So our first store was about 500 square feet. And I never worried about it. Um, from the very beginning, uh, you know, our expenses were reasonable. And, and we're talking over 25 years ago when you could do something like that. And... People came, you know, from the beginning. So I never had that that worry about it being a space of doom.
0: Could you talk about your selection from the very beginning? Did you have an orientation for the bookstore, or did you just want to open a general-purpose independent bookstore?
1: No, it was interesting. Uh, from You know, from the beginning, you know, I, I also have always had sort of an interest in the arts and architecture and design, and I knew... That uh, there was no bookstore in Miami at the time that focused on the arts uh, photography, architecture, art, criticism, that sort of thing. So from the beginning, we opened with a very significant art architecture design section. It wore you know with fine fiction and poetry and all of that. so we were kind of quote literary bookshop with a with a with an emphasis on the arts which distinguished us from a lot of the other independents who were much more general and uh I thought that we would carry the, you know one copy of you know an extensive art title from Rotoli or Abrams or from abroad and that people would come in kind of browse those books and then buy the new fiction or something like that but where I was surprised was when I found that people were so hungry for these art and design and architecture books that they bought them. So we at the very from the very first had I had a very good trade in uh quite expensive books, art, architecture, design. And we serviced the University of Miami at the time, which was developing a very interesting architecture uh, uh, school of architecture. And in those days, twenty five years ago, uh, architecture was field the- was a very theoretical uh pursuit, and so much of architecture was played out in books that I used to go and find books from Belgium and uh, European editions and you know be able to sell fifty sixty seventy copies of a fifty dollar book at the time and It really helped sustain us. There were bookstores in New York at the time that were doing that there was one called Yap Ritman for instance. Uh, which is no longer with us, that I had a second story uh, uh, bookshop that was focusing on the art. Of course there was rizzoli and and those sorts of things. So early on, I patterned myself on that part of the bookstore after some of those great stores. and uh, and and then we were, I wouldn't say we were general. We carried lots of, you know, bestsellers, but at the same time, we tried to go very deeply into some of the more literary titles as well.
0: Now, you started with a 500-square-foot space, and that's not a space that I would guess would be amenable to having big events. I, I'm looking at your event schedule, and I'm seeing you've got Nancy Pelosi. I, I'm guessing you're not putting her into the 500-square-foot foot, foot space. <laughs> Could you talk about uh, you know, opening up more? That You have, I believe, now three branches. Opening up branches and b- bringing events into the mix, when did you do that?
1: Well, we did it from the beginning, actually. Uh, So you're right, it was not easy to do. But our very first book signing was with the actor John Hausman. Our second book signing was with Isaac Singer. So from the beginning, we did large events that kind of overwhelmed our small space. Uh, I remember uh, we we started a a poetry reading, the first kind of open poetry reading, really, in Miami. We would do it on the first Friday of the month. And the Miami Herald wrote a story about it back in 1983, I think. And for the reading, the next reading after they wrote the story, about 300 people came. And we had to have the reading in three different sessions. So we had, because we could only seat about 50 people in the bookshop. So, you know, what happened is that uh, we squeezed in as many as we could. We read for about an hour. Those people left. A new group came in. Those people left and that sort of thing. And it wasn't really too long until we realized that, 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 that I needed more space. So in the building that we were in, we expanded. And within about 10 years, we became about a 3,000-square-foot bookstore. And then about 10 years ago, that same location, I moved it across the street to a location that's now about eight or 9,000 square feet with about 5,000 square foot of books. And then we have a courtyard, and we have a cafe as well. Um, we also do many of our larger events, like Nancy Pelosi. One of the things we've done from the beginning is partner with community-based organizations. So... From the beginning, we have done a lot of our larger events at churches and temples and schools. For instance, Nancy Pelosi did come last night, and we had about 1,200 people at a temple, uh, and we were able to do her there. Um, so we do a mixture of off-site as well as onsite events. We opened our Miami Beach branch, our South Beach branch, in 1989, 20, so it's having its 20th anniversary this year and then about four years ago we opened a bookstore in the Bal Harbor shops. And then in December we opened, uh, we opened we went international and opened a bookstore in the Cayman Islands uh, on Grand Cayman. And that uh, is, was our fourth books and
0: books. Now opening on Grand Cayman Island, I saw that location, <laughs> and you know all I could think of was you know the vast amounts of money laundering that goes on there. Could you talk about uh, opening in a foreign location? I mean, was did the Cayman Islands location make it easy and possible for you to do that?
1: Well, uh, you mean to money to launder money?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, sure. You are laundering money out of the Cayman Islands yeah, bookstore.
1: I, I wish book selling allowed for the laundering of money, but it doesn't. Um, well, what happened there is, you know, and it was an education for me because Cayman, island is, uh, Cayman Islands uh, are an hour from Miami by plane, and there isn't really a lot of shopping on Grand Cayman. So a lot of people who live on the island actually do their shopping in Miami. And unbeknownst to me, a developer and large landowner on the island was a customer of our Carl Gable shop. And he is putting together this remarkable uh, project there called Comana Bay, which is a mixed-use project which is virtually going to give a new downtown and a new city center to Grand Cayman, done beautifully, just beautifully. And the owner um, basically is curating the businesses that will be in this uh, in, the, in the main retail area. So they approached me basically and said, look, we'd love you to be down there. And since I really knew nothing about it, I kind of, you know, hedged for a hand and hawed for a little while until I went down there and I saw what the opportunity would be like. And interestingly enough, there's a lot of um, uh, kind of misinformation about the Cayman Islands. Yeah, they, they at one time did suffer, you know, in a place where... happen a lot of uh, money laundering but they've really been been cleaning up their act over the last number of years and, and it's a legitimate banking center right now banking, insurance uh, it's a huge business center and so what you have is you have people living there who are servicing those, uh, those industries as well as a gigantic uh, um, um, uh, tourism industry so you have all of those things happening at uh, at once. And you've got about 50,000 people there who really didn't have a full-service bookstore. So when we opened in December, it was like bringing water to the thirsty. And uh, And I tell you, what they're buying is as sophisticated and interesting as anywhere in the world.
0: Tell me a little bit about uh, choosing your books from the beginning when you had a, a 500 square foot bookstore. That must have been pretty much you and all you. Now you've got three, four branches all over the place. Uh, who is in charge of the inventory? And I mean, is this just a general purpose grab it, or do you like respond to the customer's needs and requests?
1: Well, I, yeah, and, and also I don't I mean, we do have four locations, but they're not gigantic bookstores. Our largest bookstore is the one in Carl Gables and the Canyon Islands, which are each about as I say, about five thousand square feet of books. Our Miami Beach location is about twenty five hundred square feet and the Bal Harbor shops is about fifteen hundred square feet. So I don't want to give the impression that, you know, we're we you know, we've got these, you know, gigantic, gigantic stores. The buying is done, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that I have loved it has been buying throughout the years. So I still do the adult frontless buying, you know, for the stores. We have a children's buyer. We have a sidelines buyer now. And then we have replenishment buyers who are store-based. And we really allow for as much uh, unique uh, uh, inventory at each store as, as the store managers uh, will allow. Because, you know, one of the things that we don't want to be is homogenous and cookie cutter. And each one of the stores looks different. They each have different stock selections and different things that they focus on. So, it, you know, it's like having three different stores in Miami, for instance. You can go to each store and each of them have its own feeling and its own sensibility.
0: You talked earlier about bookstores being the center of literary movements, and I'm wondering if you've seen or sensed any kind of literary movements or, uh, happening in Coral Gables in Miami. I mean, there's a huge, uh, obviously we hear on the news at least all the time about the the um, Cuban population, Cuban expatriates. Uh, is there something happening there that, that uh, we're going to hear about in the literary world?
1: Well... One of the things that I'm most proud of is that in the 25, 26 years that we've been in business, uh, I think that we have contributed uh, to an atmosphere uh, here that, um, you know, that helps sustain writers. And the writing community in South Florida has grown remarkably, uh, uh, not to mention, uh, the um, the Miami Book Fair uh, that has grown during these 25 years as well, which has introduced writers like the Bookshop has to the South Florida community. So what what's happened is you have found a number of different threads happening over these last 25 years. First, you have that you have the genre, the mystery genre, writers. That came out of a long tradition of Florida mystery writers, starting with John D. MacDonald and and others, and uh, uh, continued with Elmore Leonard and Charles Williford, who wrote Miami Blues. So you have Carl Hiafond, uh... you have uh, Les Standiford, James W. Hall, Edmund Buchanan, Barbara Parker. A whole, I'd say there are probably fifteen or twenty writers now writing who live in Miami, who write you know, mysteries or legal thrillers or suspense, that sort of thing. Another thread you have developing are two wonderful writing programs, uh, one at University of Miami and one at FIU, and these have uh, contributed to attracting some remarkable writers who've lived here for a period of time. For instance, Dennis Lehane uh, uh, got his MFA at Florida International University, and uh, still maintains a connection with Miami uh, and its writing community. But also, you have people like John Dufresne who write, you know, novels uh, that are not genre-based. Uh, you know, John's Louisiana Power and Light and a number of other things. He just came out with uh, a new a new work that just was published this month. Uh, also, is here. You then have poets living here, like Campbell McGrath, who won the Kingsley Award and things. MacArthur Award. Uh, so you've got poets, and then you do have the rise of uh, Latino literature that uh, comes from the Cuban community here, as well as uh, you know other Latinos who from Latin America who have settled in Miami. You also have a gigantic Caribbean community. Uh, uh, Ed v. Danticat, the great Haitian writer, lives here in Miami and writes uh, writes from Miami as a home. So you do have this incredibly diverse writing community now that mirrors the diversity of Miami. So, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll be hearing more from even younger writers, and I think we've heard a lot over the last 25 years from the writers who have been working here.
0: Tell me uh, uh, about uh, where some titles and, that you think right now that are either headed towards your store or in your store that you're really interested in and you think uh, my listeners might want to hear about.
1: Yeah, well, there's a book right now that, for a variety of reasons, I'm extremely excited about. It's called The Guernsey uh, Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about it yet, but it will debut next Sunday at number five on the New York Times and PW bestseller list, as well as the IndieBound bestseller list as well. It's a first novel by uh, two women uh, um, a, a woman and her niece. The woman who started the novel, Mary Ann Schaefer, unfortunately died. She was an older woman. And her niece, Annie Barrows, finished this novel. And it it takes place on the Isle of Guernsey uh, during the German occupation. It was the only uh, British territory to be occupied by the Germans. And so it's an epistolary novel, uh, really all about the love of books and the love of literature, while at the same time telling this remarkable story uh featuring two very strong women and the colorful, colorful characters on the Isle of Guernsey. Uh it has really resonated with my customers. And maybe what would be interesting for your listeners is to know that it was a book that I fell in love with in Galley back in February. Uh it just published this month. And when I fell in love with it I also saw it as a um, opportunity to, to to branch out into a world that um, I've been talking about, for a while, a very good friend of mine uh, out in Los Angeles is a uh, Hollywood producer. She did the film called Nim's Island. Um, that, um, mm-hmm. Do you know about that film? It was just published by Jody... Uh, not published, but it just was released with Jody Foster.
0: Right,
1: right. Uh, starring in it, based on a book, Nim's Island. And Paul and I have been talking for years about optioning the rights to a book, and... Uh, so back in uh, the spring, she and I optioned the rights to this, uh, the film rights to this novel. And it's really gratifying to see, uh, see the novel taking off as I figured it would, and uh, soon we hope that uh, we'll have a deal struck with a Hollywood studio to make the film. So I'm kind of branching out a little bit, book selling into uh, film producing. And uh, that's, a, that's been very exciting for me as well.
0: As a bookseller, could you talk about your relationship to publishers, big and small?
1: Uh, can I talk to my relationship to publishers?
0: Yeah, talk about your relationship with publishers. Do you work with uh, uh, small press publishers um, as well as, you know, Random House and, and the Biggies?
1: Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, when we were, you know, one of the things that, that uh, you know, that that was a huge thrust of our early days as a a, a bookseller, was making sure that we had all of the the smaller presses uh, represented. And we would, you know, carry everything uh, from, you know, uh, I would look far and wide for the most unusual titles that I could find from some of the more interesting smaller presses. So it's always been something that that uh, that has been a major thrust of mine. And then when they began to to uh come together like the small press distribution and consortium and publishers group west it made it that much easier to carry those books. The same goes for university presses. We carried university presses for a very very long time. I mean the world has shifted a little bit now. Um as we all know over the last 25 years in you know 25 years ago even in a 500 square foot bookshop if you didn't have a book that a customer was looking for no matter how obscure it was that customer expected you to have it <laughs> they'd go oh you mean you don't have that book on uh, on the mechanics of uh, of uh, goldfish farming you mean you don't have that book in your bookstore and, you know, a special ordering is much more difficult in those days. So, you know, having as complete a selection and, and as broad a selection as possible was extremely important. You know, with what's happened with the Internet now and with access to just about anything, uh, customers are now looking for selection, I think, more than, than completeness. And uh, so... Small presses are extremely important today in, in, in having a more unusual uh, selection, because after all, we're competing you know, with not only the large chains, but we're competing with the Internet. So we have to get people into the store uh, you know, wondering, gee, I wonder what uh, Books and Books is carrying these days. You know, that's a question that we have to keep our customers asking.
0: I've been speaking with Mitchell Kaplan. He's the owner of Books and Books with four branches in Coral Gables, uh, Cayman Islands, Miami, and Bell Harbor. Bell
1: Harbor, Bell Harbor. Miami Beach. Miami Beach. But, yeah, but people think of this Miami is really uh, twenty eight different little cities. So we're basically in the Miami area and uh, and the Cayman Islands, which is an hour away by plane.
0: Thank you for joining me, Mitchell.